Hello, and welcome to First Time Long Time here on the Voice Podcast Network. I'm your host, Roman, joined today, as always, with my co-host, Nathan Chen. Nathan, how's it going? I like how we're actually on a cadence now, and like, and like, you actually committed to like doing this on a somewhat regular basis, so shout out. We, we talked a, a long time ago about making this a very regular podcast. Did that ever happen? No. We had a third host, you know, Talersky, may you rest in peace. Still never happened when we had that, so... Very grateful that we've we've come to a we have a, a flow. Um, thank you to all our listeners. Um, if you're out That's there, kind of self-serving. You're just saying you're very grateful to yourself. <laughs> it's, a, it's a team effort. It's a team effort. I'm um, grateful to you. Thank you, thank you, Nathan. I don't know if you can be grateful to yourself. Maybe you can be because you could say, "Oh, like present, like future me will thank present me." For yeah, yeah. You can be grateful to past yourself. Yeah, it doesn't happen often though. Past past Roman often screws over present Roman. Yeah, but we digress. Um, today's episode is going to be a good one. Uh, we later on we're going to have uh, a new first time caller, Annie, the Voices news editor, um, and also a fan of the hated Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, so looking forward to having her on later today. Um, but first, we're going to go into this week in sports history. Um, today's topic is going to be a look at the famed New York Yankee slugger, the great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash, all the names he was called in the Sandlot movie. Um, Babe Ruth, who on, uh, I believe it was yesterday, so on July 12th, uh, many, many years ago, hit his 137th home run, which at the time um, set the all-time record for home runs in Major League Baseball. Then several years later, hit his 700th home run also on July 12th. So a little bit of symmetry there. But just to tell you, before Babe, no one had ever hit more than 136 home runs a few years later. And by the time he was done, the record was set at 714, which wasn't broken until uh, Hank Aaron and then Barry Bonds. Um, But just kind of wanted to talk about, uh, and you guys will see the transition I've planned soon. But uh, just talk about how Babe Ruth has changed the game. You know, today we're... We're seeing, we're talking about launch angle, the team that hits the most teams are just three true outcomes, Homer, walk, strikeout. Homers have become, you know, if you can't hit homers, you're not going to be a major leaguer. It doesn't matter. Um, there, there are no more guys like, like Dwayne Kuyper, who just famous giant broadcaster, um, who only hit home run, one home run in his career. If you can't run into one, it's, you're not going to be in the major leagues. It's not possible. Um, so just kind of Nathan, just kind of, Taking a step back, isn't it crazy to think about how now, like, on a, any given pitch, someone can go deep? Back then, before Babe, it was like you had guys like Home Run Baker leading the league with ten home runs in the season. Is that a guy's name? <laughs> yeah, his nickname was Home Run Baker because he led the league with like eleven. Oh man, Home Run Baker, shout out! Um, yeah, it's definitely the game has changed quite a lot in. In, in the last century, one would hope that it has. Um, but I will say, too, that Babe Ruth's impact is not just on the game of baseball. It's on an entire culture, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to know a thing about baseball to have at least heard the name. And he's I think he's a big part of the reason of how the game grew and how it became America's pastime. Um, so, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, Babe Ruth's power home run hitting prowess um very few have matched it even though it happened so so long ago one of those who has matched and exceeded it is hank aaron who passed away earlier this year um 
rest in peace. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you're talking about someone who through his exploits impacted a culture, impacted a country. Um, and so, yeah, that's a very special thing. Andre, you know, the, everyone, everyone loves Babe Ruth. It's, it's no, it's no question. You know, everybody, he, he's, you know, people are naming him today as people they look up to as players they look up to. And he just, he came in and he was exactly what the world needed at that exact time, exactly what the baseball world at the very least needed at that time. And, you know, he was a larger in life figure and he kind of, trans, you know, baseball was kind of, it's obviously always been America's pastime, but this really made a takeoff was the introduction of the home run, the introduction of actual high scoring games. Um, and it, it's kind of cool to look back on it and be like, yeah, that, that was a set time in history, but, like you said, he still has what the third most home runs of all time. And he came from the dead ball era, which he ended himself. Um, obviously he wasn't facing the same level of competition. Um, baseball was still racially segregated, but it's just kind of crazy to think about. The thing about Babe Ruth is uh, he wasn't just a hitter. He was also a pitcher, a very good one um, to tell you the truth um, before he switched to hitting full time, because that's where, I mean, he was a generational hitter. Um, there's another player like that out in the world today. And as we leave this week in baseball and go into a look around the sports world, Nathan are recording this on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, July 13th. The MLB all-star game is occurring right this second. Um, and Shohei Otani, the pitcher and fielder for the Los Angeles angels is doing something. No one's ever done before. He is DH. He's the starting DH and the starting pitcher in the MLB all-star. Game. He, Went three up, three down in the first inning. Um, and he's really just been a transcendent talent. Nathan, what is it like? You know, we've obviously seen some great players in our in our lives, but what is it like seeing someone like this where you're like, I've never seen anything like this before? You're just so appreciative that you know you happen to be you happen to, to be born at a time where you're able to watch some something like this that's never been done before play out live in like live time and you could you could see it happening and um it, it's just really it's really it's an honor to watch someone like Shohei Otani play and do do things that we've never seen you know be able to throw 100 and then hit and then hit him into the second deck right and and so um really it's just it's just an honor it's just an honor to to be able to watch someone like that who not only is at the top of his field, but is at the top of everything in his field. Like we're talking about a master of all trades here. It is kind of interesting that, you know, arguably the two faces of baseball are on the same team, Los Angeles angels, uh, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Uh, Mike Trout and the angels suck. We've talked about this before, but that is truly unfortunate that they are bad um, when they have those two players on their team. But Mike Trout's definitely more of a low-key um, kind of superstar. And, you know, our, our friend Ethan Gentro will talk about his commercial he made for, I think it was Nike or, or something, um, all the time. But um, Otani is someone who's also pretty quiet, um, but he's definitely still learning the English language. He's cut, he came over here from Japan. Um, earlier this week, um, Stephen A. Smith, who... I have found pretty amusing in the past. Uh, I believe Nathan has written an article on the best Stephen A. Smith um, moments. 
But he went on his rants about how it's bad for the game of baseball if the star can't speak English. And just Nathan, when you watched that clip, what was your reaction? How did how did you how did you feel seeing someone who you know a lot of people watch and talk like that? Yeah, I mean that's um that's not making his top ten best moments. Uh, <laughs> it was just very disappointing to hear someone who really you know you know Stephen A's specialty is not the game of baseball. He doesn't he doesn't yeah. really know what he's talking about. Um, and so to hear him drum up some controversy by, by going in this direction, uh, it's really disappointing. It sets, it sets re- really, it sets all Asian people back, you know, Asians in this country are already treated as weird foreigners anyway. And, and to, to add that language element on, like, do you know how hard it is to learn English, right? English is actually one of the most difficult languages to learn because of it's various inconsistencies and idiosyncrasies. So it's, it's a very hard thing. And then to be able to, to have the expectation to do that in addition to everything else that Shohei Otani is doing when you could just have a little humanity and like use subtitles or listen to an interpreter, like it, it's just, it's just very disappointing, lazy take by Stephen A to drum up controversy. And uh, that's not how you grow the game at all. And I mean, you know, it's ridiculous to say like a person who is out there quite literally the greatest athlete in the sport today and calling him a bad ambassador for the game. It's, it's ridiculous. And it quite literally made my blood boil watching it because we need more people like Otani who are, you know, showing these kids that you should keep pitching. You should keep hitting. You should just keep playing baseball. I don't know. It, it, it opens the game for so many people. And you're seeing these highlights on Twitter, like, Oh my God, this guy just threw a hundred then hit a hundred mile per hour fastball out, out of the park. You know, that's how you grow the game. It's not necessarily by what you say. And there's plenty of, it's just, it's ridiculous to me. And I'm, he got called out on it. And I'm glad to hear that. Um, but it, it's, it's definitely interesting because, you know, I see Otani and I see someone who, is should be the face of baseball you know deservedly so he's worked he's worked so hard at it and to be able to master two crafts in one um i mean words don't really words don't really adequately describe how unprecedented this is how how he's how he's performing against top competition how he's crossed an ocean to do this and um and and gone through a lot of adversity so really it's um it's good to see that he's he's finally getting a lot of that attention and performing the way that he is and um nobody should be against that well we're gonna have a bit of a shorter introduction today because we're looking forward to a a nice long conversation with annie um so we're gonna take a quick break and when we're back we'll have our caller today and we're back um, very excited to jump into the next part of today's program, um, where we have a new caller in today. Uh, Annie, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Annie Hogue, a first-time caller, long-time listener, and big fan of the program. You mean that, though? You're not just saying that. Just no, for I us, mean right? it. We made it very clear. Um, we made it very clear in the production meeting that um, that that you should not feel any pressure to say that only say it if it's true. No, I absolutely believe it. It's, it's very, very true. That was, uh, that was all from her. (laughs) 
Yeah, Annie, why don't we lead it off by um, talking about some of your fandoms and how you got into kind of LA sports and the Dodgers. So yeah, take it away. Yeah. Um, so I've been a Dodgers fan for as long as I can remember. I wish I could say that I followed other LA sports. I've been to Clippers games and Lakers games and LAFC, not Galaxy games. Uh, but Dodgers really hold my heart. Um, I think if I had to pinpoint it to like one specific thing that got me into it, I think this kind of goes for a lot of young people who kind of get into sports very young, is you have like a player interaction that kind of sets a mark on you and it kind of just, you're committed because it's all, oh my gosh, they picked me. And of course to them, it's just a small kid who is so thrilled about baseball, but to the kid, it changes your whole life. So it was 2013, um, I went to spring training in Arizona. It was the year between uh, Clayton Kershaw's two signing awards. And he was, it was BP and he was at batting practice and he was batting, even though he's not really a batter, but they're all doing it. And uh, he's out there and we're all watching from behind a couple fences and he breaks his bat and he goes into the dugout and he tapes it up and he comes out and all the guys are like, yo, Kersh, yo, Kersh, yo, Kersh, come on, give me the bat, man. And I'm 12 and I'm very, very small, smaller than I am now. And he kind of walks which is up. pretty small to begin with. <laughs> yeah, for listeners, I'm five one. Um, <laughs> I wasn't that much uh, uh, different then. And Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw, comes up to me, and he says, "Do you want my bat?" And I like stutter out a yes, and I have it. I can see it right now in my room with me, uh, and I've had it ever since. And I think that was really when it became personal for me because you know it was always my parents' team. Like my mom loved. Uh, the Dodgers, my, the whole, the family joke is that my little brother's first outing as a baby was to a Dodgers game. I think it actually is true. It's not really just a joke. Um, and yeah, I think that really said it for me. And so I've been a really, really diehard fan ever since. I would say that it probably peaked into a point where I was following it with intensity, probably around 2016, um, through the couple years we had there. And uh, of course, this last year has been the best year of my entire life as a fan. And uh, that's, yeah, that's pretty much my, my fandom history, I think. Yeah, so that, that's sick that you got a bat from Clayton Kershaw. Um, and it's funny, too, because it's come full circle for you now, where you're, you're kind of at the ballpark every day, work, <laughs> doing your thing, and, um, and you, you still have that interaction with Kershaw. I wonder if he remembers. Um, but, but yeah, I can talk a little bit about my fandom. So um, you need to talk, you, you need to talk to me for, I think, two seconds or so to figure out that I'm, I'm a Washington DC fan. There's a big running joke that all I wear is red shirts. I'm wearing a red shirt right now that is associated with the Capitals. That's probably my deepest fandom uh, because they, they got, they got really, really good right at the time. Um, that I started to have some sort of conception of what sports was. Right. And so um, Alex Ovechkin had joined the team when I was five, Nicholas Backstrom joined the team when I was seven and uh, they've had, you know, 15 years, <laughs> 15 years of excellence um, since then and excellence and consistency. And so they were kind of my gateway drug into the rest of the DC sports, obviously the nationals, they had, they had struggled a lot um, when I was sort of in that in elementary school area. And then once I got to middle school, they 
they were contending every year um, and they could never get over the hump until 2019, obviously, um, my sophomore year of college. It was great to go down there and and get to the games. And the thing with D.C. is that they, they had such heartbreak every single year, like um, Bef- when in the when in 2018 when the Capitals advanced past the second round, it was the first time any DC team had advanced past the second round in 20 years, and um, we're just used to the beatings, just just getting your heart ripped out at every playoff, um, and so to win it all after going through all that adversity, all that heartbreak, um, that's what being a sports fan is all about. That's that's what makes it special. That's why you stick with it. Um, we're still waiting on that from the football team and the Wizards and the and um, and some of the other teams that we have around here, DC United and the Mystics. Got to give a shout out to the Mystics too. Um, one of the great runs in the history of the WNBA. Whenever they had Elena Deladon, um, she's out right now, but when she's healthy, she's the best player in the world, and she elevated that team to a championship too. So. Um, so it, it's been nice the last, the last couple of years being a DC fan, being able to have some of those, some of that championship success. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't quite know how to describe what, what sports mean to me. Um, it, it's, just, it's a center of my world and there's like, there's, there's just no drama like it. Cause it's total, at least most of the time it's totally unscripted. Yeah, I uh, I've been able to see Nathan's fandom firsthand. Um, some of my favorite college memories are going to Game Six and Seven of the 2019 World Series. Um, Nathan, me, our other roommates, Josh and Ethan, and a and a cast of supporting characters who were there. <laughs> the day. Um, and uh, just going nuts in the in the pouring rain as the Nationals beat the Astros. Um, that was a was a good time. I think we all have strong feelings about the Astros, here, <laughs> um, which we could talk about later. But um, just for completion's sake, I obviously am from San Francisco, as you all know, um, and I'm a huge Barry sports fan. You know, I root pretty hard for the 49ers, the Warriors, the Sharks. Um, it's fun talking sharks and capitals with Nathan because I didn't know you have any friends who cared about hockey back home. And now I do, but my number one team has always been the San Francisco giants. My parents had season tickets when I was one 18th. Well, then SBC park or Pac Bell park in 2000 when it opened now it's Oracle park, but they had season tickets for the first couple years of my life. Went to my first game when I was you know one years old. Um, and I've just loved it ever since. I'm just, I've just been obsessed with the Giants, um, just watching as many games as I could. And, you know, my baseball career, unfortunately, fizzled out um, at an earlier age than, than very young Roman thought it would. Um, but it doesn't, hasn't made me stop loving the Giants, who I, you know, just right before this, I was watching the Giants being introduced to the All-Star game. Um, and then I left to come do this, but I just wanted to see that. And that's really, it really is a big part of my life. Yeah. So kind of moving forward, I'll throw it back to you, Annie, but kind of, you know, for people who aren't big sports fans, they don't quite understand how like life or death these games can be. 
you know, how, you know, if you're a really bad team, it's honestly better than like losing at a big moment because that just rips your heart out. Um, tell me a little bit about what you've experienced with the Dodgers being so close to glory throughout much of your life and then finally getting it kind of, well, how's that been? It's um, like you said, I think it's, it's life and death and it, it does sound dramatic to anybody else who isn't a sports fan. Like talking to you guys right now, you guys understand how I feel like how we all feel about that. I feel like it's a safe space for that, but talking to my not sports fan friends, I'm kind of like crazy because I'm talking about the Dodgers in a way that's so passionate and intense. They're like, you don't even know them. They, they hit balls with, they hit balls with stick. That's all that they do. And I'm like, you don't understand. It means everything to me. So yeah, the Dodgers, there are a couple of years for those who weren't familiar where we got very, very close to world series championships with teams that we were building for a very long time that were very, very strong and deserved world series rings in my humble opinion. And uh, we didn't get there. And it's very emotional because I think for me, I, I tend to tie you, you tend to tie your emotions about what's happening in your life to your sports teams and how you're feeling in a moment and where you're at in your life. And you can tie them to the success of a team because it's your home team. And if you feel strong about where you're from, that's also been like, I, if you know me, the first, you know, first five things you know about me is I'm from Los Angeles and the other ones that I'm a Dodger fan. Like that is very, very crucial to my identity. And so loving my city, loving my team, it's all part of what makes me me. And so when you're following these wins and losses and you're watching every game, you feel like, you know, the players, you know, when they're having good runs and bad runs, when you want them to succeed, when they need to hit that kind of thing, when they need to get that strike, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to watch them not succeed. Uh, and I know personally, like the years that we've had losses at the Dodgers and world series have been difficult years for me in my own life. And I've tended to kind of tie those things together. And I watch the sport to distract me from something that's upsetting me or keep me happy and something like that. And then when things don't go well, it, it hurts more. And I think, you know, in my family now, my mom and I get so emotional about it, that like we can't watch games. And if we like if they're not going well, like my mom hasn't watched a game live. Like we try to get her to, but it's actually very hard for her at this point, which is very funny because she can't watch it if she knows they're going to lose. Like she doesn't do it. It stresses her out so much. And during the World Series last year, you know, we were absolutely beside ourselves. We watched those games live because they're World Series games, but we were really, really, it was a lot. And we, we totally cried. We cried when we won the World Series. We cried when we got into the World Series. And I think it's because, you know, 2020 was for so many people, for most people that I know, worst year of our lives, so much loss and so much pain and something like us, even though it seems kind of silly to some people, a World Series went like that. I don't know. It, it made it made a lot of things feel a lot better. Uh, and it seems silly, I think, to say that because it's sports, but also it's sports and it does mean a lot to a lot of people. And it means a lot to me. Um, so I don't know if I articulated any of that right, but I think that is something that uh, it does mean a lot. And I can talk about the Astros. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to chime in here too, with, um, with a little bit about kind of the overall meaning of sports and why I think it's significant. Um, although it's not perfect in this sense, nowhere near perfect really, but um, sports is likely the closest thing we have to a pure meritocracy in our society. You know, that when you're watching major league sports, you're watching 
humans who are the best at what they do. Um, you're watching, you're watching humans who are the best at what they do go do that on a daily basis. It's the ultimate expression of the human will. It's the ultimate expression of the human work ethic, character, drive, all of that. And so like, I think about a guy like R Russell Westbrook, nobody is better than him at getting triple doubles. He is the, he is the best in history at the one thing that he does at the one thing that he does, Alex Ovechkin, I think you can make a case that he is the best in history at scoring goals. There's nobody ever that there's not even Gretzky because, because obviously that was a different era of hockey. We talk for a different day, but the point is that I think, I think sports are the ultimate expression of the human endeavor, the ultimate expression of the human will. And I think that that's, it's a truly inspiring thing when you go out and, when you go out and see people who have worked so hard to be the top, to be at the top of their field and see how they work and see how they perform. I don't want to, I want to pop in for a second and say that it is incredible to see the sheer magnitude of the strength and the athleticism too. I think it's just, it's awe-inspiring. Like you watch them do these things on the field that, I mean, I could never do it. I did play softball for two years, but I could never do it. And most people like Nathan is saying, like, People don't move. The average person doesn't operate like that. Their bodies don't move like that. They don't have that kind of strength. And it's incredible to see human athleticism like that, like not having to watch it in the Olympics, but just having to see it at a ball game. Like, I think it's so cool to watch. And I'm talking from the baseball perspective, but in other sports as well. But just speaking from baseball thing, when you see someone make an incredible out or do a crazy jump to catch it and then throw it across the field all in the span of seconds, it's an incredible thing to see. And you're just standing their mouth agape, like, how did they do that? And that's because that's the thing that they're good at. And they're not just good, they're incredible. They're the best in the country in the world. And it's, it's amazing. So it, there is something about watching that in the awe of what humans can do and seeing that version of athleticism that you really don't get to see on campus, at an office, at the grocery store in your everyday life, that that part of it really is something that's incredible there's, there's nothing like it I don't think to see that kind of stuff yeah and I think you know even separating you know from what you're watching you know taking a step back the the superstitions that come with baseball the relationship I mean just all sports you know the relationships that come with all sports and you were talking about how you know your whole family was sitting around watching um the game Nathan was saying about how we all went to the stadium to watch the finals game, the champion, the world series games. Um, you know, it's really, it's, it can be a solid, like a, a solitary thing. You know, you're watching your team and it's just you and them and that can be a good moment, but it's also something you share with others. And I think that's great. And there's all these little, you know, superstitions, like when the giants won um, three world series um, in a five year span, um, <laughs> just in case anybody forgot that that happened no one um, forgot, no one forgot. <laughs> I won three championships in my lifetime we you know my family we all sat in the same seats unless the game was going poorly at which point we all changed multiple times mid-game I remember one year I think it was 2012 every single game because on the west coast the games would be at like 5 6 p.m um so around dinner time 
my dad would take his napkin that he was eating at dinner with and bring it out into the living room and leave it in the same place. So by the time we were in the World Series, it was just a napkin graveyard out by the chair. <laughs> um, and hey, it worked. I mean, it's never lost. The Giants have never lost a playoff series when my dad carries a napkin into the living room. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's that's just kind of what sports is, is, you know, sure. Like it is a big part of it is seeing these people who are just incredible at at what they do. And then another part is, you know, you being able to sit at home, recognizing that you can never do what they do. Um, but also being like, ah, oh, this is kind of fun as a group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It absolutely is something to experience with others. It is. I don't, I haven't, I don't think I've ever watched a game by myself before. I've, you know, well, as I've been at work, but ironically, I actually work at Dodger Stadium. So being at work is also watching the game for me. Um, that's how much I love the Dodgers. But, you know, I've been on my phone, even in class sometimes watching, you know, on like an app or something, watching the numbers. And that's probably the closest I've gotten to not to watching a game alone. But other than that, you know, you're watching the game with your family and the friends that I can convince to watch a game with me, they'll watch it with me. I mean, I will say, I think there's nothing like being in a full stadium with your friends, with your family, with whoever you're with, you know, doing things like the wave or watching a home run go over it. Everyone stands up. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a communal experience too. Like you're saying, Robin, I think that part of it is really, really special. And something again, you can't really get in other things where it's like kind of like live events, live theater, live music, where you are all watching the same thing at once and experience something all together live in the same moment, which I think is something that I'm, I appreciate a lot more now having gone through this year of not being able to do that together with a crowd of people. It just feels so, it's something we take for granted, but now we, you know, can do that again. We're starting to be able to do that again. And it's such a magical thing to get to all watch something together at once live in a moment in person and baseball sport watching. That's all a place to do that. It's very, very special. Right. And just quickly, I want to jump in and say, not only is it a communal experience, there's a civic pride uh, element of it too. I think uh, we'll get into this a little bit later, but if you're like approaching, if you're approaching the concept of a rivalry from a totally non-biased perspective, basically what it boils down to is you are, is you are all villains to me because I happen to live in this part of the country and you happen to live in that part of the country, um, which is absurd. But when, but really it's a civic pride thing in that you, along with a group of fans who are total strangers, you're, you're supporting towards one common cause. And that is a very powerful thing. Um, and so I, I wanted to add too that, um, that, that there's an element of personal and civic pride to it as well. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the very first things I learned in my life, you know, that has stuck with me, you know, obviously there was stuff like how to walk, I guess, how to eat. Sure. Um, those are important. Some might say, um, but Giants good, Dodgers bad is something that was crystallized to me at an early age, and um, it has never been uninternalized. I think, I mean, obviously, I lived in San Francisco my whole life, so I didn't really interact with any fans of other teams. Coming to college across the country, I've met people like Annie, people like former sports exec Tristan Lee, who are Dodgers fans and who I can stand, kind of. Um, and that's been interesting to humanize them. But at the end of the day, <laughs> there's nothing, you know, there's no, 
there's nothing quite like a regional sports rivalry. You know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. can't explain it. And I, but I, I, I'll let Annie jump in with her take, and then we could talk about how like it does kind of have to do with you know West Coast versus East Coast, or mm-hmm. you know DMV versus Philadelphia, or Northern California versus Southern California. There is like larger overtones, but I'll let someone else talk. That's a hilarious word choice, humanized rival fans. I'm glad to be humanized. You also forgot the Astros versus the world. That's you. That's also a rivalry. Um, I think it's I think it's very funny because um, it is true. I think when you're part of a, a very, very popular and dominant sports team like the Dodgers or the Giants, it's very, very clear. You know, your loyalties are strong. You are a real fan. You can tell which fans are real because if they like, respond as aggressively to the other team as they should, then you know that they're a real fan. Like I will go absolutely insane um, about Giants, uh, Astros, Padres, even if they're not even playing the Dodgers, like I will still be against them because they are my anti-team, because they are my nemesis, because they're my narrative foil. Uh, And so I have to be anti. I don't know if it's boring to do Giants Dodgers rivalry history, but I think it's really interesting because it is the longest standing baseball rivalry known in existence. Their first game was in like 1890 and they moved, they were both New York teams against the Yankees. And then they moved at the same year because they have separation anxiety. I think they both moved to California. Fun fact, that's why the Mets are blue and orange because they took the Giants and Dodgers colors. Um, Because then the Mets started after the Giants and Dodgers left. And then, you know, there's definitely a NorCal-SoCal rivalry thing. I mean, I do love NorCal, and I love NorCal more than love the East Coast. So if I had to go against the East Coast, I'm standing with California. But if it's within California, you know, SoCal-NorCal, LASF, it's, it's where it's at in terms of the rivalry. That's kind of with, with, Giants, and Do- with Giants and Dodgers, it's, it's for real in terms of the hatred there. I will say my, my family comes from the Bay Area, so I have a little bit of family division. But at Thanksgiving, whenever the last one I had in person was, my, my Giants family was actively angry at me for being a Dodgers fan and actively mad at my parents for raising me as a Dodgers fan. It's like, where did you forget your roots, Dave and Fran? And Dave and Fran were like, we're sorry, they, we couldn't help it. And, you know, so it's a, it is, a, it is a, a sore wound there within my family. I would just like to raise um, a couple points after the uh, East Coast slander. I would like to I would like to point out that when we uh, when we were when we were uh, trying to decide when to actually record this, the other two, the both of you are on the West Coast, but you're still giving East Coast times, which is hilarious to me. That is so funny, and and it 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 just shows it just shows our dominance. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, it's not, I didn't even have to do the T-pose. You just T-posed on yourself. Um, And secondly, it's easy to be a real fan when your team is winning the division every year or winning World Series three out of five years. It's harder to be a real fan when you're, when you're losing a hundred games every season and you have Nigel Morgan throwing temper tantrums in center field and you're starting Odalis Perez. So, so just, just want to leave that out there. Yeah, I mean, um, as as you can hear, dear listener, there's some some pent up feelings that Nathan has to this day that I don't think one World Series will ever um, be able to overcome. Um, we we will look into getting you help, but um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think it's kind of, it's just kind of interesting because, you know, if someone asked me like, oh, where would you never want to live? I'd be like LA, even though LA is quite a nice place. Like I actively think it's a nice place to be besides everything about it. Um, I just would never live there because that, that would go against everything I stood for. And, you know, it's just kind of like, I wouldn't, that would not be the same without the Giants Dodgers rivalry. Like I wouldn't feel that strongly about it. Like I would feel about it in the same way I feel about like Bakersfield or something where it's like, oh my God, I would never want to live it. But it wouldn't, I don't have hate for Bakersfield. It's more like that ah, sucks, you know? Shout, shout out to news assistant Nora, our resident Bakersfield uh, voicer. We love you every day. We think about you and we hope for a better life for you out there in Bakersfield. Um, I do want to, I do want to add that I drove Roman around Los Angeles one night and he enjoyed it. He did. And it was after a Dodgers game, which we won. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and he liked it. So he does like Los Angeles. He just hates the thing that I hold most dear, um, which is fine. I want to, I want to clarify. We, I did not go to a Dodgers game. I went to a Giants game at the stadium. There is a difference. I want it to be clear to everyone else. But um, Nathan, as someone who, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably less of a geographical rivalry for you um, where you're at, but I've seen how you react to teams like, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Phillies, you know, teams that are in your division close by, you know, your fans travel to their stadium, their fans travel to your stadium, kind of, what 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 is it like taught you like you don't even need the geography it's just kind of a you're playing them every year you're always in it they always screw you you always screw them you know what i'm saying is that kind of what it's like it's something that gets passed down from generation to generation really like the i the the most raw ones pittsburgh penguins dallas cowboys philadelphia phillies um those are those are things that just don't go away that even, even if it's not necessarily like, like a distinct geographical rivalry um, it, it's, it's an element of competition. You want to, you want to beat down on the people that, that you always play. And also you want to beat down against top competition. And I just think of capitals penguins when I was growing up, you know, most anytime they would meet in the playoffs, it would pretty much decide who who was going to win the Stanley Cup that year, right? And so you want to beat the best. You want to you want to go up and and uh, and show the show them what you can do. And so that that creates rivalry when you have two competitive teams at the you know playing at the top of their games. Um, and so that not only. Uh, applies to team rivalries but individual rivalries too you can look at like a Tom Brady and a Peyton Manning where where Patriots and Colts they're not even in the same division but that competition factor between two of the very best to ever do it Um, and so I think those have probably shaped um, some of the some of those rivalries that I hold very dear especially too with uh, Washington the football team and the Dallas Cowboys um you know, in the eighties, they, they were two of the best, most dominant teens. And so, um, so yeah, I think a lot of it is just wanting to be the best, wanting to be the best by beating the best. Uh, and, 
if you if you play against the top competition, you know, every single year, twice a year, um, you're going to get those results. And then there's there's the third kind of rivalry that gets created. And if you wanted to jump in about the uh, the Houston Astros, who listeners probably know, but uh, I've been embroiled in a cheating scandal for a couple of years now. Uh, but kind of why do Dodgers fans hate the Astros so much? And um, why, why do you think this will pervade for a very long time? And like Nathan said, it's a generational thing. Like we're going to hate the Astros and then our children are going to hate the Astros. But tell me a little more about that. Absolutely. That is a very good point. The generational aspect of this hatred will go on. And I, I really hope it, I really hope it does. I hope it endures because I think, and this connects to what we're talking about before with athleticism and watching the game. It is it is a sacred thing. When you are a big fan of a sport, you are trusting that they are playing as they are and that they're respecting the rules of the game. I mean, you know, steroids and all those things, you can't pretend they don't exist, but they're out there. But I think there are, when it's cheating the actual game, like the rules of the game, um, it's, it's very, it's upsetting as an understatement. And uh, for those who need a little bit more background on it, I believe it was the 2017 World Series, Astros versus Dodgers. I went to one of those games, the one that went to extra innings. I had an AP test the next day, um, but who cares? I wanted to watch the game. Um, and uh, the Astros beat the Dodgers. And that team, the Dodgers were, they were that, that Dodgers team was a golden team. I, I, I love the team that we had the last couple of years. It was really, really good talent on those teams and guys who've been on the team for a while and, and deserved a ring. And the Astros won. And then it came out, I don't remember how much later they had cheated. They'd done this thing called sign stealing, um, which is basically, you know, half of all the part about what the whole ball hit, hit bat with ball, whatever thing is that you don't know what's coming at you. The whole point is that the batter doesn't know what the pitch is going to be. So if you know what the pitch is, you've ruined the game. In my, like, in my opinion, if you know what's coming at you, then you know what to hit. And that ruins the game. And that's what the Astros did. And so something like that, it's, I don't want to use the word sacred, but to me, like respecting the game and the rules of it and following through, it's very, very important. And that's what makes it, that's what makes the game the game. So when the Astros did what they did, uh, it was, it was, it was infuriating. And the fact that they haven't really received any substantial uh, repercussions for their actions, they haven't had their title taken away, things that have happened to other players who have done far less and have gotten much worse punishment, it's ridiculous how the Astros, how everyone knows they cheated and they still get the treatment as if they are players that didn't do what they did just three, four years ago. Um, and it is very, very upsetting. And it's hard not, it's, I mean, I laugh about it sometimes because like, I hate Jose Altuve. I go on rants about him. Some, like, my friends who don't know sports don't even know who he is, but they know that I don't like the short person on the Astros team because I talk about how sh- he's not, he's five, six. He's not even short. But, like, to me, like, I, anything about him, I despise. Um, so, things like that, <laughs> where it's just, it is very enduring, it is very lasting. And yes, like Roman said, my children will know to hate the Astros. Um, Cause you don't, you don't do that. You don't do that. You don't cheat your way to a world series. That's, that's supposed to be something that means something. And when you do that to it, you know, you put an asterisk next to it, 
you become the Houston Trastros. So I will never, ever, ever give a dime to Minute Maid Park. I don't care if the Astros aren't even there anymore. I will never go to that stadium. I will never spend a dime there. I will never, ever, ever do it because uh, I despise that franchise so much. I actually think, I genuinely believe I hate the Ashes more than the Giants. And that I can say wholeheartedly. Um, I would rather be a Giants fan than an Astros fan. Yeah, and I think that, um, I think that you're fine to use the word sacred when it comes to, when it comes to um, that, those aspects of the game, when you talk about the integrity of the game. Um, because again, like I said earlier, sports are supposed to be unscripted. That's what makes them dramatic. That's what makes them worth watching because you don't know what is going to happen next. And so um, when you take away from that, you get the WWE, right? Or you get the game six of the 2002 NBA Western Conference Finals. You get games that aren't real competitions where there's, there's, a, there's a hand that's guiding the action. And so because you know the outcome, it's much less, it's much less dramatic and, and there's, there's no integrity and it's not worth watching quite frankly. I will just add that I think losing something, when you get to a, a game, like a final game, like a World Series or a cup final, whatever, your whole heart's in it and it's heartbreaking to lose. And to find out later that you shouldn't have lost, not because, you know, in your head, like we shouldn't have lost for the better team, but because you actually shouldn't have lost because they actually didn't really win on their own merit. It's very, it's, it's not just angry, it's, it's, it's devastating. Um, and I think to people who aren't really into rivalries or sports, it's maybe hard to see from the outside, but you know, any, anytime anyone cheats on anything, right? With any kind of thing, a test, uh, getting to a job, anything, it's upsetting and it's heartbreaking when they don't deserve what they get. And so in the sports where the whole point is that you're watching people do these physical feats and playing a game with strategy and mastery that you cannot comprehend to the level they can. And then they're not even doing it as they're supposed to. They're, they're cheating. Uh, it, is, it is very, very sad. It's sad is what it is. And not in like a mean sad, but a heart sad. Well, good thing the Nats beat him. Yeah, that's why that was the only time that I was like, you know, what? it's okay that the Dodgers are there because the Nats beat them. So it's okay. So it's okay. I'll always love them for that. The Nats. I'm glad we could all, you know, get our feelings out there. Um, it's like there's some things that needed to be said. Um, and we're running short on time. So I'm going to ask my final question. Um, and it's to both of you. Um, I'll say mine and I'll let Annie go first because she's our guest. Um, but if you, you know, you're at a fancy dinner and there's, you know, a table four people can sit at, you know, there's just a, just a square table, one, two, three, four, and it had to be someone from a team that you're a fan of. Um, who would be populating the other three seats can be, we're going to say they're in their prime. So they're, you know, if it's an old timey player, they're going to be not quite, old timey although i'll say my answer one of them will be kind of older but uh my three uh would very clearly be clay thompson from the golden state warriors who is one of the coolest players of all time and i love him and i'm a convert to clay theism um second would be tim lincecum one of the greatest giants of all time um who is kind of 
I think he's honestly a little forgotten in today's day and age, but he was one of the greatest pitchers of the early generation that includes players like Kershaw and Scherzer. Um, and then I would want an old Willie Mays because I would just want to hear everything about his life. I've already read a biography of him, but I feel like that'd be interesting. But um, Annabella, as our guest, would you like to say who the three years would be? It's hard. I mean, they're all Dodger players, but it's still hard. And I'm balancing between seriousness and joking. Um, Vin Scully, because I want to hear his voice. I want to record him for my, like, you know, my ringtone or whatever, saying it's time for Dodger baseball. Like, I'd like to have that for myself. So Vin Scully, for sure. I know he doesn't really count, but in my head, I'm making it count. Kirk Gibson, because I want to hear the story. I got to hear it. I know, every, I know I've seen the video a billion times, but I want to hear the story from him. And well, I've met Kershaw. But we haven't really spoken. And I think we'd be really good friends. And I think if he met me, he'd really like me even more. So I'm going to go with Kershaw as my third. Joe Kelly is in shambles. I know. I was, right that, was my, that was my other third is Joe Kelly. But like, the thing is, no, I, would no, just, you had to go clean. I would just embarrass myself in front of Vin just looking at Joe the whole time. And I can't do that to myself. I can't embarrass myself in front of Vin Scully. Okay. Understandable. All right, Nate the Great, wind us up. Finish us out. Oh man, this is tough. This is tough. I I my first two decided, but not my third. So my first two, uh, my first one will be um, Coach John Thompson. Um, he counts because he was a he was a record setting center at uh, Providence College and uh, played for a couple of years in the NBA. So he is a player. He counts. Um, you know. Talking to him, I imagine it's like talking to Yoda or like Master Uguay, but with more profanity. Um, so yeah, I would just drink in all the, as much wisdom as I could, no pun intended. Um, my second one would be Walter Johnson and like old Walter Johnson. So similar to the Willie Mays logic, I, I think you could make a case that Walter Johnson is maybe the greatest ever to do it, the big train um, for the Washington Senators back in the day. Um, and then my third one, uh, it's tough. I'm, I've, I'm having a lot of conflicts between different capitals I want. Like, do I want Devontae Smith-Pelly? Do I want Joel Ward? Do I want, <laughs> do I want Andre Nicolation? But in the end, I'm going to have to go with the really obvious answer and pick Ovi. Just the, the personality off the charts. Um, legendary. I, I imagine he's just a legendary beer drinker, too. Like, he'd be a fun drinking buddy. Um and, and I could say that now because um, I'm 21. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think those would have to be my three. John Thompson, Walter Johnson, Alex Ovechkin. Excellent answers. And thank you for reiterating that the Georgetown voice does not condone underage drinking. Everybody um, that is one of our, our core pillars here. Um, well, Annie, thank you so much for jumping on with us. And uh, thanks for coming on. And we hope you come on again. Thank you for having me, guys. Even though you are a Giants fan, and I, I appreciate the space. I really do. Yeah, it's it's a rough one there. <laughs> um. Well, for Nathan Chen, I am Roman Peregrino, and for the Voice Podcast Network, this is first time, long time. Have a good day.